0: And let's turn in our hymnals to 685, page, not number, page 685 in the very back. Page 685 in our hymnals. That will be a help in a moment. After this um, shortened service, we will have an informational meeting, which I'm, I'm treating as less, as less formal family time, church family time with opportunity for questions and answers. So um, you should all be familiar with the topics from the email sent out Friday. And one of those topics, uh, which is that of an advisory eldership, uh, that I thought might warrant some reminders from Scripture before we discuss it. So at this time, I'd like to remind us of some relevant biblical principles that are brought out in our confession. uh, In the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, And in its chapter about the church. So I just want to focus on some biblical truths in in paragraphs 14 and 15 of chapter 26 in our confession of the church. So it's toward the top of page 685 in your hymnal there. The topic uh, of these two paragraphs is that of communion. That's the word it uses. Communion of local churches of more than one local church together. There are some, there are some topics uh, that are addressed here that I'm not aiming at today. Um, different Reformed Baptist churches apply the word communion from these paragraphs with greater or lesser degrees of formal and permanent structure. So some will say we have a very dynamic, active fellowship and cooperation with other local churches, though we're not in a, an ongoing official organization with them. Uh, some, some will have some tie to an organization uh, that's um, maybe called a fellowship or a network. Some uh, would say we need to do what um, the uh, the Baptists in England who were penning this confession for us, who were signing on to it, what they were doing with an official association as such. Um And so I think uh, there are historical answers to what the confession was addressing in this regard, but I'm not going to take time today to prove what that was because that's not my focus today. Um, Degrees of formal organization are not my intended topic today. For our present purposes, we can focus on communion as various forms of partnership and assistance between churches. Communion, that word is used in scripture, it's not a word that was come up with later like the word trinity or something, Though that's a good word too. Uh, But communion is actually a word found in scripture, right? Uh, From the Greek koinonia, for fellowship, communion, partnership even. So communion can be various forms of partnership and assistance between churches at a very basic level. Paragraph 14, we want to look at the basic responsibilities of churches toward each other. Basic responsibilities of churches toward each other. And we'll look at scriptures along the way uh, in relation to that. So as you read there along with me, uh, paragraph 14. As each church and all the members of it are bound to pray continually for the good and prosperity of all the churches of Christ in all places and upon all occasions to further it, everyone within the bounds of their places and callings, and the exercise of their gifts and graces. So the churches, when planted by the providence of God, so as they may enjoy opportunity and advantage for it, ought to hold communion amongst themselves, for their peace, increase of love, and mutual edification. Uh, One particular... Set of words there might not um, come across in our minds the way it was originally meant. When it says, um, it, "It's clarifying." Obviously, we all have limits to how many, how much cooperation we can have with fellow churches. It says, "Everyone within the bounds of their places and callings, in the exercise of their gifts and graces." <clears throat> um, As Jim Renahan puts it, the bounds of their places and callings limits the roles individuals may perform. It is very likely that the referent, what it's referring to, is to the constraints placed on church officers. They have been given to and called to serve particular congregations. Their role as pastors or elders and deacons are church specific. They have bounds of their places and they have callings to a church. Uh, In this sort of a context, the word places back in the 1600s wasn't talking so much about geographical places as personal rank and station. So my place would be my station in life, um, what my position is. And so I'm limited by my place in life uh, as to how much I can do naturally. (laughs) So that's what that's talking about. Um, And again, Jim Renahan, it should be understood with this sense. Different people, according to the positions they hold, have different responsibilities in the furtherance of the good and prosperity of all the churches of Christ. So let me read, um, we've handed this out probably to most people here, the uh, 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith in Modern English. Let me read the paragraph there. Uh, It might be a little clearer for some in the updated English. Um, Stan Reeves, his updated language. Every church and all its members are obligated to pray continually for the good and prosperity of all churches of Christ in every place. They must also, at every opportunity within the limits of their stations and callings, exercise their gifts and graces to benefit every church. Also, when churches are raised up by the providence of God, Insofar as they enjoy opportunity and favorable circumstances for it, they should have fellowship among themselves for their peace, growth in love, and mutual edification. Well, where is it getting, first of all, this biblical obligation to pray for all churches, as it says? Well, many places, of course. Uh, One of the best examples, since I'm trying to keep this to 20 minutes, won't do a lot of examples for each thing. But one of the best places is Ephesians six eighteen, Praying at all times in the spirit. This is right after the armor of God text. Put on the whole armor of God. It ends with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then it says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then the apostle is about to say, and pray for me, for my gospel ministry here in, in Rome. For all the saints, not just for our group here. Um, Prayer is one of the most basic spiritual duties, is it not? And if that basic duty uh, ought to extend in principle to all the saints, how should our other duties as Christians extend, at least to some extent, to all the saints? There's, a, there's biblical examples, plenty of them, of saints and their churches helping other saints and churches, of course. Think of Romans 16, verses 1 through 2. I believe this is one of the texts actually originally attached to this, this paragraph of the Confession. Paul says, I commend to you, to the church in Rome, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cenchrea." That was, a uh, you might say, a suburb of Corinth that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. That's just one example of, of many indications that um, these weren't churches isolating themselves from each other. No, the apostles, as they planted these churches, encouraged them to help each other, congregation to congregation, in so many ways. Sometimes they would... Uh, Send, sometimes someone would just providentially be sent from one area to another, like uh, Phoebe, perhaps. Uh, sometimes, um, like in the, the case of the preacher Apollos, he would be commended by one church to another uh, to do his work in yet another place. Third John, which only has one chapter, verses 5 through 10, the Apostle John speaks both of what it is good and, and wonderful to do for those who are strangers to you, but who are workers for the gospel, uh, and then he also speaks of a negative example, Diotrephes, who wanted to keep people in his congregation from helping those from other congregations who were bearing the gospel. Third John five through ten, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church." (laughs) <clears throat> you say, well, all our problems would be gone and all our disputes would be over, wouldn't they, if we had apostles on earth today? <laughs> no. Diotrephes said, I don't care about the apostle John. He doesn't have authority over our church. And I'm going to put out of the church anyone who tries to welcome these missionaries or evangelists, whatever you want to call them, to welcome them in and help them. I'm going to put them out of the church. Contrary to the apostles' authority, even. Wow. But um, so so again, I have to cut it short and not not uh, elaborate too much here. But you get the idea. There are basic responsibilities of churches towards each other. Secondly, as we look at paragraph 15, we see the application of these responsibilities to specific difficulties. So we see we see these principles at work in a, in specific sorts of cases. Uh, looking there at paragraph 15. "...in cases of difficulties or differences, either in point of doctrine or administration, wherein either the churches in general are concerned, or any one church, in their peace, union, and edification, or any member or members of any church are injured, in or by any proceedings and censures not agreeable to truth and order." "...in any of those sorts of situations," it says, "...it is according to the mind of Christ that many churches holding communion together... Do by their messengers meet to consider and give their advice in or about that matter in difference, to be reported to all the churches concerned. Howbeit, these messengers assembled are not entrusted with any church power properly so called, or with any jurisdiction over the churches themselves, to exercise any censures either over any churches or persons, or to impose their determination on the churches or officers. Let me read that one more time. You might want to follow along again, but as I read it in the modern English. Cases of difficulties or differences, doctrinal or administrative, may arise, touching on the peace, union, and edification of all churches in general or an individual church. Other cases may occur when a member or members of a church are injured in or by disciplinary action, That is not in keeping with truth and order. The example there would be Diotrephes we just read about. He put people out of the church wrongly because they were doing a good thing. That's an example of this. In such cases, it is according to the mind of Christ for many churches having fellowship together to meet through their messengers to consider and give their advice concerning the issue in dispute and to report their advice to all the churches concerned. Nevertheless, these assembled messengers are not entrusted with any church authority, strictly speaking. Neither do they have any jurisdiction over the churches themselves to exercise any discipline either over any churches or individuals or to impose their decision on the churches or officers. For sake of time, I'm not going to um, get into Acts chapter 15, but you might remember from there an example of... um, not a Presbytery, as our Presbyterian brothers would like to see it. <laughs> but we see an example of the churches of Antioch and Jerusalem welcoming each other's messengers and seeking to come to a unified understanding on a doctrinal schism. In fact, this situation seems to have also involved other congregations in the area around Antioch. The areas of Cilicia, I'm sorry, Syria and Cilicia are mentioned. Um in, the, uh, in this case, it was a serious doctrinal issue, of course, uh, an issue of heresy, actually, that Paul and Barnabas ran into. And so they were sent by the church, it says, of Antioch down to the church in Jerusalem with the apostles and elders down there. And um, as I said, uh, again, th- then when uh, an agreement was reached, and in this case, there were some unique aspects because there were apostles on the scene Jerusalem was the the mother church of the other churches. But still, then you have messengers sent from the church in Jerusalem, including um, Barsabas, Judas called Barsabas, and Silas. Silas was a messenger from the church in Jerusalem. They were sent back to Antioch to, along with a letter, deliver uh, the uh, agreement, the decision in person, to, to talk about it there. And then we see Paul taking Silas with him, being commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord and going through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And later we find out he's also reporting on what happened at the meeting in Jerusalem. There are some principles woven in there, again, of churches communicating well when it seems like those from one church are, in this case, promoting heresy. (laughs) There's communication. There's... um, There can be men chosen to represent a church in matters of advice or information to another church, etc. But notice the clarification at the end of paragraph 15 there. Churches and their messengers hold no jurisdiction, it says, over other churches or their members. That preserves the biblical autonomy of the local church, because each congregation answers to God for its own actions, right? We can't just say, well, this other church was in charge of us and they told us what to do and we did it. No. We each are, are, uh, we are a local body here of priests. It's part of our priestly duties and to exercise an, a degree of congregational rule and to um, seek the mind of Christ together as one local body here. That's a Baptist distinctive autonomy of the local church not autonomy in the sense of isolationism as we're saying here autonomy means self-rule so under christ and his apostles as they've given us the new testament for instance under christ's authority and the authority of his apostles uh the local church is autonomous and yet if we're wise we will be open to listening to advice from sister congregations won't we Not think ourselves wise in our own eyes. There's no biblical hierarchy of churches or of church courts or bishops. That's why we're not, for instance, Presbyterian or Episcopal. Um, There's other reasons we aren't, but that's one of them. (laughs) The apostles, as I said, had unique authority over the universal church, but that authority is now mediated to us through the New Testament, which they left for us. So it's left through the New Testament not a succession of bishops or one-mother church. Let me list, very quickly as we close, four applications. Number one, at the very least, each of us must pray for other churches, not just our own church. And that's why we cycle through and we expand the list over time. Uh, we cycle through churches that we may know well or we may not know so well on Wednesday nights in our um, in our Wednesday prayer sheet. They're on there. There's always ways we can do that better, but that's the principle at work there. And it's not just my job or the deacon's job to pray for other churches. It's, it's your job. So be aware that it's it's it should be a duty and to life. As the New Testament says. Uh, number two, church leadership has the greatest responsibility to reach out to other churches. We talked about each one according to his his place and calling and so on. So, in case you haven't pondered this, such efforts to reach out to other churches take time and effort for church officers, and particularly elders. I'll go so far as to say it will require my blood, sweat, and tears if I do it right. Um, No deacons, no pastors naturally just think they have time for this. (laughs) We have plenty to do, as it is. But, if we have this conviction, it should change how we operate. This conviction about communion among churches. The enemy of our souls does not want churches to work well together. And anyone seeking to get things done between churches for God's glory, for the success of the gospel, anyone like that will find themselves in a war zone. I'll say that. Certainly, the devil loves ecumenical movements that seek to unite true churches with false churches and heretics. He loves that. But try to rally true churches, and you're likely to encounter enemy fire. So that's just just something that every once in a while, I, it's good for me to um, bring to your attention again. And frankly, I've noticed, and some of you have mentioned the same thing, uh, I've noticed that many pastors intentionally isolate themselves in their churches. Sometimes they've been hurt when they tried to connect with other pastors and churches, so they just kind of shut up, Uh, uh, they close themselves in. Often there's there's bad blood maybe between local churches from decades ago, and no one is willing to work for renewed harmony, and that's, that's sad when it's the case. Sometimes church leadership refuses to cooperate on anything with any other church unless that church agrees with them on every minute point of theology and practice. Um, So these situations really are tragic. But understand, that's an aspect of spiritual warfare at work. When you see that, the Lord wants us to um, value other churches and to seek communion at some level with other true churches. The devil does not want that. Um, At the very least, if, if it does work, the devil will try to corrupt it Uh, By bringing in perhaps false doctrine, perhaps bad practices among churches. (laughs) Recognize the spiritual warfare there. Anyway, I'm getting off on my rabbit trail there. But church leadership has the greatest responsibility to reach out to other churches. Number three, if we know little about other churches, then our ability to assist them will be minimal. If we don't know much about other churches, how can we help them? How can we function biblically towards them? So just be aware of that. Pastors have to put forth effort here, but so must everyone else. That has a lot of implications. Why learn church history and the history of doctrine? One reason is because without it, you'll be somewhat clueless about where other churches are coming from and where you're coming from, too. And you're going to face major problems if you don't know church history, but you're trying to work with other churches. Why pay attention when church leadership passes along information about other churches? Well, Because, as a church member, you are responsible to help the congregation make wise decisions as we assist and encourage other churches. Number four, and last, we should be open to input from other true churches of Christ. Some Proverbs that I think you've all heard. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. On the other side of the coin, Proverbs eleven fourteen, 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Likewise, Proverbs 15 Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors or many counselors, they succeed. Paul had to tell the church at Corinth, in somewhat sarcastically he had to say to them 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty six, or was it from you that the word of God came from you as a congregation or are you the only ones that is reached you're acting like the Bible is your private thing and you get to ignore other churches and what their example would be <laughs> that's wrong we should be open to input from other churches of Christ other true churches of Christ <laughs> with the true gospel, and who are seeking to be faithful to the scriptures. Well, that is that is my brief exhortation today to see the big picture. We'll talk about some, some specific things, obviously, this afternoon, but this is a big picture thing that I'm trying to lay out to get back in our minds. Our responsibilities, our joyful responsibilities before God toward other churches. It was 20, maybe 25 minutes, depends how you count, so um let's pray and then we'll sing a hymn and close father help all of us we uh we're naturally selfish people and congregations can be naturally selfish too help us to see not only how we can be helped by other churches but how we can help other churches in the future help us to to be pondering Various good things we can do for your kingdom with other churches in the future, things such as church plants even. Um, Help us not to be content with where you've brought us as a church, but keep pressing on to do your work better and in concert with, with more true churches along the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.